Hi there. I'm Lee Redhead, a writer and member of Sisters in Crime Australia. Welcome to Scarlet Stiletto Bites, scintillating short stories by Australian women. Our weekly podcast is designed for busy lives. Each murder mystery is short, but not always sweet. Expect twisted tales, quirky humour, imagination, and a frisson of feminism. Sisters in Crime Australia's Scarlet Stiletto Awards were established in 1994 to unearth criminal literary talent. We're producing these podcasts of winning stories to celebrate the sisters' 30th anniversary ceremony in Melbourne in late 2023. The concept designer and narrator is fellow sister, actor, barrister, broadcaster, and best-selling true crime author, Susanna Lopez. Hello, Susanna here. How do we keep out of crime's way? Do our instincts protect us? Sometimes, but not always, as our protagonist learns in today's story. Diving for Pearls by Jackie Horwood, Silver Stiletto Award 2016. I tightened the belt around my coat against the icy wind and marched down Collins Street. Plastic bags of new clothes banged against my legs. For the first time in ages, I was feeling positive. I just had to nail my job interview on Monday and I'd finally be starting a new life after a decade of dead-end jobs. Two weeks ago, I'd woken up on the morning of my 30th birthday and realised I was technically homeless and my bank account was so red it practically glowed. A giant kick up the bum that had made me vow I would break out of my comfort zone and embrace fearlessness. I turned into Spencer Street, finally escaping the wind tunnel and headed towards the station. Above me, heavy grey clouds gathered to discuss their party plans. I burrowed my head into my collar and kept walking. A nearby door swung open and I caught a snippet of music and chatter. A small bar sat snugly between a 7-Eleven and an abandoned Thai massage shop. I couldn't remember ever seeing it before. I glanced through the window at the inviting burgundy walls and dark wood panelling. Maybe I could have a quick drink to celebrate my new beginnings. That was something a bold career woman would do. I walked through the door just as another person was heading in. The guy was tall and broad-shouldered. His dark hair curled over his ears and his cheeks needed a shave. He had a big black duffel bag slung over one shoulder. The guy gave me the once-over. I glared at him and let him walk ahead of me. The new arrival headed for the bar. He turned to me. What can I get you? I shook my head. I- I'm fine, thanks. Come on, one drink, he said, and then he gave me a slow smile. I don't bite. I bristled at the idea that he scared me and thrust out my chin. Fine, I'll have a Chardonnay. A pot and a Chardonnay, he said to the girl behind the bar. 
Drinks in hand, we sat at a nearby empty table. The guy pushed his bag under the seat with his foot. Dale, he said. He smiled that smile again. Uh, Natalie, I replied, raising a glass. We took sips. I glanced down at the duffel bag covered with tags and nudged it with my foot. You travelling? I asked. He edged the bag further under his chair. Yeah, just down from Sydney, he said. Supposed to be meeting a mate here. Oh, how long are you in Melbourne for? Couple of days, maybe. I'm just passing through. He took a sip of beer. How about you, Natalie? What's your story? I shrugged. Not much to tell. I'm sort of between jobs at the moment. How about you? What do you do? This and that. Bit of security. Odd jobs. This and that. Security. Odd jobs. What was that supposed to mean? I lapsed into silence and sipped my wine. Dale checked his watch. My mate's meant to be coming now. He's late. He slugged the last of his beer. Want another one? Ah, no thanks. I'll just have the one. Come on, Natalie. I don't want to drink alone, Dale said. He tilted his head at me and I couldn't help noticing his chocolate brown eyes. Okay, just one more. I watched Dale at the bar, admired his shoulders. He was probably as shifty as hell, but I wasn't planning on going home with him. He sat down and I smiled at him over my glass. Thanks. I asked him about his travels and the conversation started to flow. Dale had a dry sense of humour and under the dishevelled exterior there was a sharp mind. As we spoke though, he had a habit of scanning the room. Not like he was checking out other women, like he was making sure of who was around him. As new people arrived, Dale would duck his head until they walked past. It unsettled me and a niggling little voice suggested it might be better if I called it a night. Before I could wind things up, Dale leapt to his feet and ordered more drinks. He kept me talking and before I knew it, hours and beers had passed. There was no sign of Dale's mate. What's happened to your friend? I asked. Looks like I've been stood up, he said. You hungry? Yeah, I am a bit. Well, how about we go to your place and order pizza, he suggested, one eyebrow raised. The sense of disquiet from earlier in the evening hadn't completely left me and I shook my head. Um, How about we find somewhere in town, I said. Dale gave me a slow smile that warmed me all over. Come on, Natalie, one pizza and I'll be gone, he said. I bit my bottom lip. Maybe this was what being fearless was about, taking chances. Dale was gorgeous. Why shouldn't I take him home? It would only be for a quick dinner. Okay, my, my house isn't far from here. Dale picked up his bag. Sounds good.
Let's go. We grabbed a taxi and headed to my place in Kensington. My place. Listen to me, will you? The house was someone else's and I was house-sitting. In a few days, Olivia, the owner, would be home from swanning around provincial France and I'd move from being technically homeless to being actually homeless. All the more reason for me to start my new life. I opened the door to the little red brick house and ushered in Dale. In a fit of short-lived energy, I had thankfully spent that afternoon cleaning up. I pointed to an open door in the hallway. That's my room. You, You can put your bag in there. Dale stepped in and swung his bag under my bed. In the lounge room, I cleared a place to sit amongst the patchwork cushions, Olivia's cats and a pile of old newspapers. Beer? Sounds good, he said, following me into the kitchen. He leaned his hips on the sink as I fossicked in the fridge and the cupboards. Hmm, nice place, commented Dale. What's out there? I turned and found him peering out the back window into the inky darkness. A little courtyard, gate to the laneway out the back. Dale grunted and nodded. I found a packet of chips and a couple of Coronas. Sorry, no lime slices, I said as I handed him a bottle. I shook the chips into a plastic bowl and we headed back to the lounge. Dale dropped onto the couch and tilted his beer at me. Cheers. I settled at a safe distance beside him and clinked my bottle on his. Silence settled as we drank. So, uh, what are you planning to do in Melbourne? I asked. No plans, answered Dale with a shrug. Just keep a low profile and enjoy what this place has to offer. There must be something you want to do, I asked. He put his bottle down on the coffee table and moved closer. Actually, there is something I'd like to do. He pressed his lips against mine and I stiffened, but as he kissed me, I I felt my body soften into his. I breathed in the scent of skin and beer and cotton and returned his kiss. His hands ran over my hips and thighs My fingertips stroked his cheeks. I hadn't known this guy for very long and wasn't even sure whether I trusted him. I closed my eyes and let his lips run down my neck. I flipped myself onto my back and stretched out my arm, expecting to find a warm, willing body. Instead, my fingers fell on cold sheets. I opened my eyes. The bed was empty. Dale? I rolled onto my side and listened. The house was silent. I wrapped a ratty terry toweling dressing gown round me and wandered down to the kitchen. I hoped I'd find Dale making tea and toast and not rifling through my belongings with an intent to steal. I found neither. Back in my room, I checked under my bed. Nothing there but little dust bunnies. I scanned the bedside tables for a note. Nothing. Dale had gone, and he'd left without a word. Bastard, 
Was this how one-night stands usually ended? With abandonment? I could feel the creep of disappointment. So I picked myself up and got moving. Fearless women didn't dwell. Time for a shower and my weekly trip to the market. The doorbell rang just as I was putting on my runners. On the other side of the security screen door was a tall skinny man with greasy hair. He sniffed and jiggled on the spot. Yes? I asked cautiously. I could smell grime and the jitters on him. Hugo there? he asked, trying to peer through the flywire screen. A wave of rancid breath nearly knocked me off my feet. Huggo? I don't know any huggo, I said, getting ready to close the door. The guy made a strange gurgling sound, and it took me a beat to realise he was laughing. The guy who was shagging last night, he said. Dale? Yeah, Dale or whoever he says he is. A tide of nausea tickled my throat. I didn't like where this was going. Who the hell was Dale? And how had the guy at my front door known Dale had been at the house? He, he's not here. He left this morning, I said loudly, trying to mask my panic with bravado. What? said the man, his eyes wide. Bastard! The guy flexed his hands, itching for something to pummel. Oh, you tell that little shit for brains that Razor wants to see him. Tell him that Razor knows everything that goes on in Melbourne. Razor? I said, my stomach churning. Why, Razor, is that like your weapon of choice? Razor frowned at me as if I was nuts. Nah, that's my surname. Well... I don't know if I'll see Dale again, but I'll pass on the message if I do, I said and closed the door. I leaned my forehead against the cool wood, listening to my heart hammer against my ribs. What had I walked into? I'd guessed that Dale was shady, but this was ridiculous. This was the first and last time I'd ever pick up a guy at a bar. I pulled open my bedroom curtain. Razor had crossed the road and jumped into a gleaming silver Cortina circa 1972. Razor may not have been into personal hygiene, but he certainly looked after his wheels. He sat in the front seat and crossed his arms. It looked as if he was settling in to wait for Dale. I contemplated calling the police but wasn't sure if that would be asking for more unwanted attention. One thing was for sure, I had to get out of the house. I was starting to feel trapped, but there was no way I was going to leave via the front door and advertise to Razor the house was empty. He'd be inside before I turned the corner at the end of the street. It'd be better if I used the rear access. Small Drops of rain splattered against the window. Heavy grey clouds rolled overhead. Bugger! I'd have to wear my boots. I closed the blinds on the front windows so Razor couldn't see my movements. I rummaged under my bed for my boots but came up empty-handed. 
I couldn't remember when I'd last seen them. I pulled open the cupboard door and dived into its black hole-like depths to see what I could find. Shoes, dirty socks, t-shirts I'd thrown aside. My fingers brushed against something more solid. I pushed my jackets aside to see what it was. Dale's rucksack. I frowned. When did he put his bag into the cupboard? Did this mean he was coming back? I pulled out the bag and dragged it into the middle of the bedroom. It was black and soiled like it had been on a million trips. His name tag was tied to one of the handles. I crouched down and flicked it over. Damien Hugginson. Great. I ran a finger up the zipper. What the hell was going on? (sighs) Stuff him. I unzipped the bag and peered in. Shit. I fell back onto my bum. The bag was filled with smelly clothes and money. Bundles and bundles of money. I scrambled backwards on my hands and feet before standing and walking a couple of figure eights around the room. This explained why Razor was sitting outside the house. What was I going to do? I licked my lips and considered my options. In front of me was a bag of undoubtedly ill-gotten cash. Outside was one angry crim, and somewhere nearby was Dale. My well-honed, risk-averse side argued that I should push the bag back into the cupboard and play dumb. Let Dale come back and retrieve it, and wave him goodbye. My new fearless side yelled at me loudly. It told me the bag represented a new start. The opportunity to get out of Melbourne and try my luck elsewhere. This voice told me to take my chances. I stood rooted to the spot, immobilised by indecision and doubt. When I was little and showed any sign of timidity, my granny used to say, You don't find pearls on the beach, love. You gotta go dive for them. Apparently it was a Chinese proverb. Goodness knows where she got it from. Probably read it in one of her reader's digests. Do it, screamed my new voice. Dive for pearls. If I was going to do that, I was going to have to act fast. I peeked out of the curtains. Razor still hadn't moved. A newspaper was spread out over the Cortina's steering wheel. He wasn't going anywhere in a hurry. Right, how was I going to go about this? Bags, I needed bags. I scavenged in the cupboard for my backpack. Fortunately, I didn't have too many personal items to worry about. I threw all my clothes, shoes, books and toiletries into a bonfire pyre at the end of the bed. I considered the two bags and decided to swap them over. With shaking hands, I took the bundles of money out of Dale's bag and put them into my backpack. The bundles were mainly orange and yellow. There were thousands of dollars in my sweaty palms. I put a jacket and my purse and mobile phone on top of the stash and the rest of my stuff went into the roomy confines of Dale's duffel bag and his stuff 
was pushed into the nether regions of the cupboard. I did a quick tidy of the bedroom and made my bed. I emptied all of the dry cat food into one of the cat's dishes and filled the other with water. After a quick rummage through Olivia's desk, I found a pen and paper and scrolled a message claiming that the ill health of my mother had sent me home prematurely. One more scan of the house and I was out the back door and into the courtyard. I opened the back gate in a slow arc, poked my head out and looked right. The alleyway was quiet, the bluestone slick with rain and bordered by ruffles of autumn leaves. I stepped out and turned left. A blue Commodore was blocking the laneway, its boot and driver's car door were open and the motor running. I shook my head. (laughs) Place was full of idiots. I wriggled my shoulders, adjusting the weight of the backpack and tightened my grip on Dale's duffel bag. The soft whisper of shoes across the bluestone stopped me and I hesitated, the hairs on the back of my neck stiffening. Going somewhere? My heart froze. I turned to find Dale with a gun in his hand. The gun was levelled at me. I sucked in a mouthful of air and almost choked. I wanted to look for an escape route, but I was too scared to take my eyes off Dale. Where have you been? I asked, without really wanting to know the answer. Out stealing a car, he said. I can see what you've been up to. He moved towards me, his gun hand rock steady. His chocolate brown eyes now just looked as hard as flint, and the sexy smile was nowhere to be seen. My lower body turned to water and I almost buckled over. Who are you? I said, stalling for time. I listened out for signs of other people. Surely there was someone nearby. The only person who could help me out of this was sitting in a silver cortina in the next street. Never you mind said Dale. He flicked the gun towards the car and I flinched. Throw the bag in the boot. I did as he ordered and then backed away. Hopefully he'd get in the car and drive off. Where do you think you're going? He said. In the boot you go. My vision flashed black and red. This was no good. If I got in that boot, I was as good as dead. Behind me, the engine of the Commodore was still grumbling. My fearless little voice told me I had to take my chances or die in a car boot. I lunged at the open car door. My backpack was still clamped to my body and I felt like a turtle as I sat down and ripped off the handbrake. Dale screamed my name as I floored the car and hurtled toward the end of the alley the car boot flapping like a bird's wing before slamming shut. I could see Dale in the rearview mirror, running and trying to level his gun at the car. I wasn't interested in driving anywhere. I just wanted to hand Dale over to Razor. I turned left into Macaulay Road, narrowly missing oncoming traffic, and then turned left again into my street. I pulled up, leapt out of the car and ran towards the Cortina. Razor! I screamed, Razor! Razor looked up from the paper. 
He squinted through the front window, trying to work out who the hell was calling his name. I pointed behind me. It's Hugo! I yelled, he's here! Dale must have rounded the corner because Razor's face lit up. He threw aside the paper and started up the car engine. I stopped running and whizzed around. Dale recognised the car and scrambled to get into the Commodore. He was pulling a U-turn just as Razor screamed past me. The Commodore tore into Macaulay Road with the Silver Streak in hot pursuit. I stumbled off the road and leaned against a fence with my eyes closed for a moment. I waited until my legs stopped trembling. My forehead was damp with sweat. I couldn't believe what I'd just done. Was taking chances always going to be this hazardous? I had to get moving. Razor and Dale weren't going to be happy when they discovered the duffel bag was full of my dirty undies. I began running on unsteady legs to Kensington Station. I jumped on the first train into the city. I had no real plans, only the desire to get out of Victoria and go somewhere warm. Somewhere with a beach and maybe pearls. The end. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love your feedback. Subscribe for free to Scarlet Stiletto Bites wherever you get podcasts. And do visit our website, sistersincrime.org.au.